Thanks, Tim. Well, I really appreciate that nice introduction. Uh, it's, it's really my pleasure to get to be here today and to share the word that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart uh, to bring to you guys. And uh, this church has been a huge blessing to me over the past year and a half as my new wife, Katie, and I have gotten to go to it. We've really just loved getting to be a part of it uh, and getting to see how the Lord is using it in our community and to further the gospel here and around the world. And so it's, it's really a blessing to be a part of it and to get to share with you guys today. So if you've been with us at all over the last few weeks, you know that this summer we're working our way through the book of Luke. And we're going to continue with that uh, this week as we take a look at Luke chapter 15. And so you can go ahead and start turning there if you want to get there. That's what we'll be looking at today. But uh, it's really a great passage of passions that a lot of you are probably familiar with. And uh, it's something that the Lord has really used to teach me a lot over the past year. Um, I, I was pleased when Trev asked me to talk about this passage because it was one that my small group since spent some time studying last week. Or not last week, like last year. And we read a book about it uh, and had a great time, and the Lord really used it to teach me a lot about uh, my walk with Him and my relationship with Him and, and some of the things that I can deal with and ways to grow, and I think He's going to use it to uh, do the same for you guys. So let's take some time right now, and, let, and let's just pray and ask the Lord to come and to teach us something as we spend time in His Word. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity when we get together as believers and spend time in fellowship worshiping you and praising you for who you are, God. We believe that you're in control of all things, and we believe that uh, you speak through your word as you say that you do, and we, and we think you have a word for us today. I pray that you would just uh, open up the scriptures today, and uh, as we talk about them, that you would reveal new truth to us so that we can understand more about who you are and more about how you love us. Uh, just take some time right now and ask the Lord to speak in your heart and to teach you something new today. Uh, it doesn't matter if this is your first time at church or you've been coming your whole life. Uh, God's word never returns void, and he's got something he wants to teach you today. So just ask the Lord to do that. Um, and we believe he's going to speak. Father, thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 15. Today we're going to be taking a look at verse 11. Uh, it's a little bit of a long passage, so stay with me. I'll, I'll, I'm going to read through all of it, and then uh, we'll look at a few different parts about it. But in verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the, pig, the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So it's a passage that a lot of you may be familiar with, and uh, you may have heard a lot of sermons preached on this before, but uh, there's some things that the Lord uh, has taught us, and through that book I got to read uh, by Tim Keller, he's uh, just revealed some truth that I think we want to take a look at, and I think he's going to be able to teach us through today. Uh, One thing that we come in contact with a lot at church is that I think believers struggle with uh, admitting the fact that we still struggle with sin, and it's a harsh reality, but uh, it's a real reality, is that uh, e- even after we've made the decision to follow Christ with our lives, uh, we still have areas that we struggle with. There's still things that we're tempted by, still things that uh, Satan uses to, tr- to try to take us off the course of following Christ with our lives. And uh, wh- whether we like it or not, uh, if, we, if we're really real with ourselves and really ask ourselves that question, we all still struggle with these things. And so today I want to take a look specifically at these passages and uh, see how the Lord is using this younger brother character and this older brother character to point out two specific types of sin that we need to guard ourselves against as as we go about our Christian lives. And it's important to be aware of these things, to be honest with ourselves about these things, and uh, never be too prideful. Sometimes I find myself wanting to pretend like I don't have any sin in my life, but that's just not true. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 verse 15 says, I do not understand what I do, for what I do... What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And basically what he's saying with a lot of I do's and I hates, that uh, in kind of a confusing way, is he's saying that he struggles uh, with doing things and sinning when he knows he shouldn't and he doesn't want to. But because we're still in these fallen bodies and until we die and get to go be with the Lord and we're glorified there, uh, we will still struggle with sin. And if the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of our New Testament, who was probably the greatest missionary to ever live and got to take the gospel to so many people, if he still struggled with sin, I think it's okay for us to admit and to understand that we can still struggle with sin too. And um, so, so let, let's be honest with ourselves today as we look at these passages and really try to see which one of these characters in the story you identify with. Maybe it's the younger brother who struggles with his own set of problems, or maybe it's the older brother who has his certain problems that we struggle with. And this is a passage uh, that may or may not be titled in your Bible, the parable, the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, or maybe it's the parable of the lost son. But uh, Tim Keller in that, in that book I read wrote, and I think it, it would be more appropriately named the parable of the two lost sons, because both the younger brother and the older brother have a position uh, of struggle with the father. And it's, they come from different directions, and they come uh, from different places in their heart. But both of them, as we see in this story, are uh, in opposition to the Father and don't have a great relationship with Him. And so let's look uh, today through those different struggles and, and see what the Lord is going to teach us about uh, how we can guard ourselves against those. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, we see that there are two specific groups of people that Jesus is preaching to. Uh, in verse 1, it says that there were tax collectors and sinners who were gathering all around Jesus. 
And these are people who were known to be people who broke God's laws. Tax collectors were people who took money off the top after, after they collected your taxes, they kept what was left, and they could keep however much they wanted to as long as they paid Rome what they owed them. And so they were known to be thieves, they were known to be bad people, and they're grouped together with these people who are just called sinners. And these are people who were uh, knowingly in opposition to God's will for their lives, uh, but they were doing it anyway. And, uh, and, but Jesus was embracing these people, and, and he was letting them come. And then there's another group of people who come to hear what Jesus has to say, and it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And these people were the religious elite of the day. They were extremely righteous and made up their own laws to make sure that they could follow God's laws even better than everyone else did. And, and they were very caught up in being religious and being moral, um, but they were also missing, just like the older brother here did, uh, the point of the father's love. So we have these these tax collectors and sinners who we can identify with the younger brother in our parable. And we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who we can identify with the older brother. Uh, Jesus begins, uh, and, and he's specifically teaching to these two groups of people. It's not like he's just telling these parables to encourage that prodigal son type person. He's speaking just as much, if not more so, to the Pharisees as he is to the, young, to the younger brother character, to the sinners, to the tax collectors. In this passage, his first parable is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and uh, he loses one sheep. So the shepherd goes, he leaves his flock, and he pursues that one sheep. And this is Jesus talking about how much God wants to pursue the lost people, the people who haven't made the decision to follow Christ with their lives. And Jesus is trying to explain to these people, both groups, both the younger brothers and the older brothers, that God wants to pursue them. And he says that heaven will rejoice when one sinner repents and comes to know him. And then he tells a second parable. And this parable is about a woman who has ten silver coins, and she loses one. So she turns her house upside down, looking and trying to find this coin. And then it says in verse 9 that she says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And he goes on to say, In the same way, I tell you, there is re this rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so what Jesus is trying to convey uh, in these first two parables is that God wants sinners to repent. He wants them to come into right relationship with him and be in right relationship with the Father. And I think at this point, uh, the sinners and the tax collectors, that younger brother character who's listening to Jesus tell this, would really be able to identify with this. Because they've done things that uh, everyone would admit and everyone could agree on uh, were wrong and were in opposition to God. And a lot of us have those things in our life that we know that we do these things that we shouldn't, and they're wrong. But I think the, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law probably wouldn't be able to identify with this, these two parables because they, uh, in their own minds, don't think that they're lost. They've lived moral lives, they've lived righteous lives, and they think that uh, they don't really need forgiveness because they followed all the rules. And so... Uh, that's why Jesus, I think, goes into this more in-depth third parable about these two lost sons to try to explain how much God loves both of these situations and both of these sons and, both, and everyone who Jesus has given this sermon to right now. So we, this parable begins with the younger brother. And the younger brother goes to the father and approaches him and in a, in a very rude way says, Father, go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance. And this would have been an extremely, extremely rude thing for a son to do, very disrespectful to do to their father. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, how an inheritance will work in my family is if there's anything left when my parents go, I'm going to get it. But they have to die first. And uh, 
and that's, that's how it works, usually, I think, in, in most cases. Um, but so this younger brother is essentially going to his father and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're not worth anything to me besides your money. So go ahead and give it to me, and I'm going to get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. Horribly disrespectful. And not to mention that, but these are times when uh, the dad's money probably wasn't in stocks and bonds. It probably wasn't in, you know, a piece of real estate or two. It was in lands, farmlands, crops. It was in uh, animals and livestock. It was things that weren't just very, uh, you know, easy to sell or not very liquid property. They were things that... um, he would have taken a little bit of time to get rid of. It would have been very public. He would have sold it to someone around the community, and it would have been a very embarrassing position for the father. So not only does this son privately embarrass the father, he also goes and publicly embarrasses the father with his actions and, and liquidating all their land, taking the money, and then he goes off to a, to a distant place. And then it tells us in, uh, in verse 7, nope, not 17, Take a look at verse 13. It says, not, after, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So what he goes is he, is he takes what the father gave him, and he goes and he squanders it. And I think that this isn't so much just about a lesson about wasting money or about disrespecting our father, but it's really about uh, the issue of why the younger brother went and he did these things. And I think it's because if we, uh, you know, could sit down and talk with him, the younger brother character was pursuing the things that the world told him would give him satisfaction. Just like the tax collectors and the sinners, they thought that if I had enough money and it doesn't matter how I get it, that my life will be okay. Or, you know, if, if these sinners are prostitutes, if I just, you know, can, can do whatever it takes to make money, that'll be okay. Or, or if I can just party enough, or if I can just have enough fun, or take all that this life has to offer, that this will be okay. Um, and the younger brothers pursuing these things, these things that the world tells us that we can do and we can find satisfaction in. And uh, he, he finds out that he can't find satisfaction in those things. It says um, that in verse 14 that after he had spent everything and there was a severe famine in that whole country, he began to be in need. So I think this is a key turning point in the younger brother's life when he experiences some need. And uh, up until this point, it sounds like he'd probably gotten whatever he wanted, including his inheritance early. Uh, But then he starts to see need in his life. And I think that that's something that 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 point in time has to come in all of our lives. Uh, We have to experience need. And maybe it's not financial need. Maybe it's not uh, something that's monetarily or with earthly possessions, but... I think he was also experiencing a spiritual need that Jesus is, is representing here through his uh, broken financial situation. And until we've experienced that spiritual need for the Father, uh, it's really impossible for us to repent. In these first two parables that Jesus told, he said that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, like the shepherd who finds his lost sheep or the woman who finds her lost coin. And uh, we're, we're called to repent in this same way, but we can't repent until we understand how much we need the Father. And it says in verse 17 that uh, when he came to his senses is how that verse starts off. Uh, and, and I think that that's really what, uh, when we decide to give our lives to the Lord and to repent, that's what happens as we come to our senses. We realize that without the Father, uh, we don't have satisfaction in this life. And the things that the world has promised, whether that be money or, you know, fill in the blank with what other Whatever other thing the world tells you uh, is important in this life, maybe, maybe it's family, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's your husband or wife, or maybe it's even your kids, that these, these things, aside from God, that we put in, in, uh, in his place in our lives are the things that uh, the world can tell us we need. 
But Jesus tells us uh, that this younger brother came to his senses, and this is basically his act of repentance. He realizes that he doesn't want to live this life anymore. He decides to turn his back on the sinful life that he's lived and to pursue the Father once again uh, and, and to go back and, and to rectify that relationship with him. And that's all Jesus asks us to do as well is to repent and to turn back to the Father, and it says he'll receive us with open arms. And that's exactly what we see happen here. The younger brother goes back to the father, and while he's still a long way off, the father goes out, and he uh, runs to him. He embraces him, puts a ring on his finger, he puts a robe on his back, and he's excited to have the younger brother back home. And even though he wronged the father in so many ways, the father still accepts him. And I think that's a really common misconception that we think, uh, you know, whether we're in Christ or not in Christ, we think that after we've done something so bad that God can never love us again, or we think that, you know, that we have embarrass the father like this younger brother did or we've done something so so grotesque that god could never love us but excuse me but that's simply not true Uh, god will love us no matter what we have done in our lives it doesn't matter how much you've wronged god how many times you've wronged god he will always embrace the repentant sinner with open arms and i think that's really important and and so about this point in jesus's message as you can imagine the younger brother characters in the crowd the tax collectors, the sinners, the people who have lived lives uh, that have been in, in clear opposition to God are probably getting really pumped up. They're probably super excited to hear Jesus say, God will embrace you with open arms. Because this is radical teaching for that day. And in a day where you had to follow all the strict commands of the law. And Jesus is saying, God will forgive you. God will show you this thing called grace, which you don't deserve. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and so they're, they're probably high-fiving each other and saying, this is great. But then we have this other part of the audience, the older brothers, the Pharisees, the people who are, who are really, uh, really kind of torn up about this, and they're really mad about grace. And, uh, and Jesus kind of hits the nail on the head here, and that's why I think he goes into more detail in this parable, because in verse 28, we get a little insight into the heart of this older brother figure of the Pharisees, of the uh, teachers of the law. And it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But then he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. So we see this older brother, this Pharisee, this tax collector, someone who has rigorously followed God's laws, have this huge problem with grace. And and I think it's because they really don't understand, uh, to begin with, why they should be serving God. They have this twisted motivation in their lives for why they do all these good things. And I think this is something, and this is something that the Lord's really been teaching me, is that um, you can do all the right things in your life. You can say all the right things. You can uh, be nice to the right people, help as many old ladies across the street as you want to. But if we do it out of the wrong motivation, those things really don't matter, and they're very empty. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees right here, is just because you've done all the right things and taken the right steps doesn't mean that you're right with the Father. Your life might look right and righteous and moral on the outside, but that by no means and in no, in no way does that mean that your heart's right with the Father. And Jesus talks more about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He, he goes in to talking about that, you know, it's not just the murderer, but it's the one who hates his brother. It's not just the adulterer, but it's the one who lusts after another woman. It's, it's the heart that matters, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. And that's what Jesus is conveying, and he's, and he's teaching this crowd of people, is that it's not just the younger brother character 
who needs salvation. It's also the older brother character, the one who, who is righteous and who is moral, but has uh, a twisted motivation in that. And I think that, uh, you know, the Bible is very clear that what the Pharisees were pursuing is wrong. But unfortunately, a lot of times, that's kind of the message that comes across in our churches. Some, I think our church does a great job of trying to avoid it, but maybe you've grown up in a background where you felt like you had to be righteous enough to go back to church, or you felt like you had to be good enough to earn God's favor. But, well, you know, praise the Lord that that's not true, because uh, in Ephesians, it, it tells us that we've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. And it's a beautiful thing that no one can boast about it. It's something that we don't earn. In Romans, it goes on to say that uh, God demonstrates his own love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, or while we were still sinners. I think that's a very important thing, that we had done nothing to merit or to earn Christ dying for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of grace that is so hard for the Pharisees, for those who are motivated um, by, by honoring God through their actions uh, so that they can earn God's favor instead of understanding that they have already, we, we all have the opportunity to earn God's favor through grace, and we don't have to do anything to deserve it. And it, it's, it's really a beautiful thing and a beautiful picture, but it's also very hard for us to, to really understand as people because uh, we grow up in this culture that is so, so um, bent on performance, and we think that, you know, you have to perform well in college to get a good job, or you have to work, work real hard to work your way up, or, you know, do your best to, to improve people, to imp impress people, and, and to make people think that you're worth something. And God offers this this uh, this picture with open arms where he says, all you have to do is repent and come to me. And it is, it's an amazing thing. It's amazing truth, but it's something that we struggle with a lot. And um, so the, the main thing that I want you to walk away with from here today is I want you to consider your motivation for your actions and to think about why do I do the things that I do? You know, if you're someone who lives a righteous life, if you're someone who does the right things, who, who gives to the church and to charities and who, you know, it serves at the soup kitchen and does these things. Think about why you do those things, uh, because it's very easy for, for us and myself included to walk that line that the Pharisees walked of, of trying to serve God because they thought it would get them further or because they thought God would love them more because they did more things. And that's not true at all. You know, God asks for our obedience. He asks us to live lives to serve him, but we should do that motivated by God's grace and motivated by how much he loves us. And we should never forget as Christians how much God has saved us from. Because when we start to forget what God has saved us from, uh, that's when we start to have these selfish motivations. And so, and so that's, that's the important thing uh, that we can learn from this older brother figure. And so, uh, you know, take some time today and spend it thinking about whether you lean towards sin like this younger brother has. Sin that, uh, of believing that the, what the world tells you, that the things the world has to offer will satisfy you or whether you or whether you tend to lean towards these sins that the older brother ha that the older brother has sins of um, performance for the lord sins of selfishness or or sins that uh, of judgment towards those who haven't made the decision to follow christ yet there's a, a lot of different opportunities for us to fall into these temptations but i but that's why we spend time looking at it so the holy spirit can teach us how to guard against those things so we can be aware of these pitfalls uh and make sure that we avoid them so Let's just take some time now uh, to pray and to ask God to teach us those things, to, uh, 
to, to dwell on what he wants us to learn today as the worship team comes up and uh, gets ready to, to lead us in a little more worship. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is true and that it always has something for us, Lord. We know that uh, the teachings of Jesus will resonate in our heart uh, regardless of where we're at in life, whether this is our first time to hear this or we've heard it a million times, God. We know that your word always has something for us. And we pray that we wouldn't be motivated by the things of this world, Lord, that we wouldn't mo be motivated by anything other than your grace and your love for us. Because we know that it is an amazing thing and it's a beautiful thing. And I pray that we would not lose sight of that as we pursue you with our lives, but that we would honor you through service that is motivated by how much you love us and what you've done for us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Stay with us in worship. Thank you. 